0: the idea of how to begin is can you find a worthy goal something that's thrilling for you so you care about lights you up but also that's important that gives more to the world than it takes and i would like more people taking on goals that give more to the world than they take that make the world a better place you're listening to the elevate podcast and i'm your host
1: robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Stephen Covey, begin with the end in mind. Our guest today, a returning guest, is Michael Bungay-Stanier. He helps people figure out how to begin transformational journeys. Michael is the founder of Box of Crayons, a top learning and development firm that trains leaders and brands such as Gucci and Microsoft. He's also the best-selling author of six books that have sold over one million copies. I think you might even be getting close to one of those books with a million copies now. (laughs) Actually, that's Uh, true.
0: The Coaching Habit's over a million now, which is yeah,
1: self-published, which is like hall of (laughs) fame for everyone who's paying attention at home. Uh, But we're here to talk about his new book, uh, How to Begin. And very interesting timing uh, comes out the day this episode publishes. Michael, welcome. It's great to have you
0: back. Robert, well, it's nice to see you again. And as a fellow author, like, I'm, I admire how prolific you are. Like You're really committed to writing some great books as well. So thank you for those. What I lack in
1: quality, I make up in quantity. <laughs>
0: so it uh, <laughs> seems like you've
1: got it the, the other way around. But
0: you also make it up in charm and self-deprecating humor. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that works too. Uh, you know we dove in a little bit about your background on the first appearance, um, yeah. which I definitely encourage people to check out that episode. Um, we'll include the episode number and a link to it. Um, but we recorded that pre-COVID, so that was a different world. And I know you did a lot of in-person coaching and speaking. so what did what did COVID last couple of years look like in your in your sort of business world, and how did you pivot?
0: Well, I made the brilliant move. Two years ago, two and a half years ago, of stepping away from being the CEO at Box of Crayons, this this learning and development company I founded, and handing the reins over to Shannon. So honestly, I did that
1: yesterday. So
0: (laughs) it is a brilliant
1: move when you can do that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So poor Shannon, she's like, uh, you know, it's her first time being a CEO, so she spent a lot of time going, "What do you do as CEO?" And I'm like, I don't entirely know because I'm not a particularly good CEO, and I'm making it up as I go along. But the first way we navigated through COVID is Shannon did a great job in you know a little bit of pivoting our uh, box of crayons, but it kind of like firming things up, tightening the focus, having the opportunity to say, look, what are we really about? What's at the heart of our strategy? And how do we better build the team? So some people moved on. We had a couple of people join us. And already, actually, we're starting to see a really strong rebound for box of crayons now that things are have started to open up a little bit. <laughs> Temporarily. <moment>. Yeah, Temporarily. <laughs> I know. Don't. I'll knock on my <laughs> exactly. desk. I'm, I'm no, knocking on, on <laughs> laminated plywood or whatever I've got on my desk here. So first step I went, I don't have to worry about box of crayons because I'm sure if I was leading it, it would be a mess right now. I'm not a great CEO, but I've got this other company. I started at, when I left box of crayons, mostly. So I had a sandbox to play in and I wouldn't go back and screw up box of crayons called MBS dot works. And with that, we've had the luxury of basically experimenting. So we've been beta testing a bunch of stuff. And I've used the time to write this new book, How to Begin, and build an ecosystem around the book. So, you know, you and I were talking about books and <laughs> how hard it is to write a book and then how hard it is to get anybody to buy a book. Yeah. I actually and, I find writing easier than
1: marketing, <laughs> to be oh, honest. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I they all have light sides and dark sides to me there's sometimes i love i love the writing and there are other times i'm in the valley of self-loathing and despair yeah But, but with this book i'm like i had time to go how is there a virtuous circle with this book there's a book and there's an invitation to join a program and then there's an invitation to join a membership group and we had the time over COVID to think that through as a business model and prepare that so it's a little bit less duct taped together, which is sometimes my usual style. And, and we'll dive into the
1: book in detail in a little bit. But um, one question I wanted to ask you, I'm curious. So with this you know, runaway success, the coaching habit, I don't think I've met anyone in business who hasn't read it or used it. <laughs> uh, you've obviously coached a lot of people. Yeah. What, what's it, one of your favorite examples when someone sort of coached you and it made a difference?
0: Yeah, well... I've had coach I don't have a coach at the moment, but I've had coaches for much of the last 20 years that I, particularly when I've been an independent. And the first coach that really stuck was really helpful. I hired to help me write my first book, because I had this idea for a book, and I'd gone some way down the path of getting it going, and then I somehow got distracted or bored or scared, and I put it into a drawer. And two years after I'd done that, my cousin called me up and went, hey, that idea for the book, look, I noticed you're not doing it. And I just told it to my boss and she said, we should do that. So do you mind if we just take the idea and run with it? <laughs> I was the like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Opening the drawer. No, <laughs> blowing the dust off the book. No, no, I'm, I'm working on it even as we speak. So I, was, I felt that kind of like, okay, I'm back, I'm back in the game. And I hired a coach, L.A. Redding. And I was like, L.A., your only job is to keep me moving on this book because I am a slippery character and this is my first book and I'll find any sort of way to self-justify not working on it. Oh, I've got to earn money. I've got to go and do this. I've got to vacuum my office. Yeah. So she, her job was to just show up and go, tell me how the week went. Tell me the work you did. I care less about the outcome and I care more this about- This is like
1: you. Marshall's person that calls him every night and asks him That's if right. he did what he said he's going to do that day. And yeah, yeah.
0: So very unglamorous. Like it's this isn't glamorous coaching, but sometimes it's just about creating consistency and persistence is actually the thing that can be most powerful. But on a kind of more inspirational note, I think the thing that comes to mind was an informal coaching moment, a, a, an earlier boss of mine, who at one stage just pulled me inside and t- he said, "You know, Michael, I really see you as a force for good in the world," and. It kind of shook me, you know, in in a really positive way. It was somebody really seeing me and calling me out, and kind of helping me claim a greater ambition for myself. And I'm sure Dave has no memory of that; <laughs> and he's like completely forgotten it. And it's just like, a, you know, it's just like I'm just trying to do a little motivational chat with with Michael, who reports to me. But honestly, I'm like that just struck a bell and it chimed really cleanly. I always wonder, and I don't mean to diminish this in any way, because I've had some people
1: say for things that like, there's some people who just went and said that to everyone. Would it accomplish yeah. like a great good? Because everyone does feel that way. Like, and you're like, was that meant for me? Or
0: that would that sort of, does everyone need to hear that? From time <laughs> well, to <time>? Yeah. <laughs> I, so on the bottom of my emails, as my kind of standard signature, I have a, a phrase that says, it says, you're awesome and you're doing great. Yeah. and it started because I was facilitating a session. I thought and you just wrote that to me. I, well, you are awesome. And you in particular <laughs> are doing great. But you know, the origin of it was I was facilitating something. And when we're teaching coaching, we'll get people to work in pairs. And they do four rounds of practice coaching with each other. And just spontaneously at the end of the first round, I said, look your partner in the eye and say, you're awesome and you're doing great. Yeah. And it's always deeply awkward <laughs> when the, the first round, was like, oh, I don't what. And... Um, particularly if you're working in England. In England, everyone's is extremely awkward about it. But by the fourth round, there was this tangible energy huh. and kind of sense of connection in the room. It really shifted things. So I put it on the bottom of my email. And Robert, I would say three times a week, I get somebody writing me back going, and thanks for the encouragement. I really needed <laughs> to hear that right now. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, there's one part of me is like, okay, I, I'm not trying to be cynical or manipulative by putting yeah, that yeah. on, but I do feel that there's a time where sometimes, you know, the the right affirmation arrives at the right time and you it can move you. So again, you don't want to be manipulative about it, but it's like when in doubt, <laughs> say it rather than not saying it because yeah. it probably will land. That's fair. So
1: I'm curious to the chicken and egg on this. Let's dive into the new book, how to begin. Mm-hmm. Is this your idea before COVID, or do you have amazing timing, or did you just <laughs> sit down? Because I, I looked, I think this has been the most reset period for people yeah. in the last hundred years.
0: You know, it just who knows how you how the zeitgeist influences you, but this wasn't the book that I was meaning to write. I, I had another book that I was trying to write, and it was more about what does it actually take to to change at a kind yeah. of deeper level? How do you do that stuff? And I tried to dig into it into my previous book, The Advice Trap. And I was like, it's mostly there, but I wasn't quite happy with where I got. And I'm like, "It could have done with a bit more work. I'm going to write that. So I wrote this and I wrote 80 or 90 pages and sent off the first draft to some friends. And one of them, Misha, who lives here in Toronto with me, after two days, he, <laughs> he called me up and went, look, I've read the first 50 pages of your book. I've got no idea what it's about. It's <laughs> not very good, is it? I was like, oh, man, it, it it hurt less than I thought because I was like, there's some truth in what he's saying, but it's that insight that even when you've written a bunch of books, the first draft is always a bit crappy. Yeah. So as I'm picking my way through the rubble of this first draft, there was one phrase that really felt like worth rescuing. And it was like, we unlock our greatness by working on the hard things. And that then became the centerpiece for the book. And I was like, so how do I help people work on the hard things. How do I get people to be brave enough to take on a project or a goal that will stretch them, that will contribute to the world, that is worthy of their time and their life and their money and their resource and their relationships and all of that sort of stuff. So it kind of emerged from the book I was trying to write. And probably I'm influenced by the fact that we're in the middle of the great resignation and lots of people are asking themselves, What am I doing? (laughs) Why am I doing this? So, uh, you know, with any luck, it is perfect timing. Who knows? I'm rolling the dice. Yeah, I I found it's better to be lucky than good sometimes. But if you can get both (laughs) of them, then then that's sort of the
1: vortex. Exactly. Let me ask you the preface because, Mm -hmm. you know, particularly so I'm in the business world, I see the great resignation. I've said this a lot of times. I think there's some people uh, who, you know, realize they're on the wrong path and it's a great time to shift path. To yeah. realize they're on the right path with the wrong people and it's a good time to switch the team. But some other people are just want to do something different because it's been a hard two years. Yeah. And I think they just think that different will be better. When I really yeah. think that what they need to do is take three months off rather than right. go start a new job that is different. So before this book even starts, like, how do you know? Maybe this can be your next book, the prequel. Like, <laughs> how do you know when you should begin or start over?
0: Yeah. That's a great question, which, you know, whenever an interviewee says that, it means they don't have a fast answer to it. So they need to think about it. Well, you know, we edit, it. So if you took you <laughs> five minutes to answer it, the, the listeners will never know. That's great. <laughs> well, first of all, I really agree with you, which is sometimes people leave hoping that it's going to be different next time. And the flaw in that thinking is that they're taking themselves along for the journey. And so whatever is the mess that's them that shows up in the next context and it tends to manifest. So grass still needs to be watered on the other side of the fence, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I I guess I'm most interested less in the answer than in just actually taking the time to ask the question. Because what I fear for myself and and fear I guess for other people as well is that I just get stuck into the grind and the rut and the patterns and the status quo and things just tick along. And I never stop and ask myself, is this it? Is this what I want? Is now the, the time for me to take this on? And I'm doing this selfishly because you know the idea of how to begin is, can you find a worthy goal? Something that's thrilling for you, so you care about, lights you up, but also that's important, that gives more to the world than it takes. I would like more people taking on goals that give more to the world than they take, that make the world a better place. Because, you know, the world is both extraordinary and it's a bit frightening at the moment in terms of the what wheels are falling off. Yeah. And if we become passive sightseers in the fate of our our families or our communities or our our countries or our businesses, then not only do you lose because you're not using the opportunity to unlock the next best version of you, but we all lose because something that could be great is not being worked on. Yeah. And I, I,
1: what's interesting for most people, I've always agreed to this, that, that good is the enemy of great, right? And, yeah. and particularly I see, look, I'm I'm getting now in the mid forties and I, I've seen this in my peers, you know, people, they work, they get to the top of whatever pyramid they're on. The income is good. They don't love it, but it be actually becomes very hard to to give up good. And yeah. what happens is, you have a pandemic, or you have something where they get the company come out they get knocked off, and they it forces them onto this path. Very few yeah. people I have seen are willing to take themselves. It's easy to take yourself off the bad path, right? Right. Maybe the fair path. I think uh, one of the challenges is is if it's good, like it's not your life work, it's not you don't love it, but yeah, like yeah. I got agree. bills to pay, got whatever, and you know, and, oh yeah.
0: Yeah, you know what I I did a law degree, and I'm pretty grateful that circumstances took me away from being a lawyer. I mean, I finished law school, being sued by a law school lecturer for defamation, so that wasn't working. Say, now, you had how- to pick a
1: hundred careers
0: like <laughs> lawyer, like courtroom. Like, wait, what yeah. was
1: what was I <laughs> talking about again? Like, <laughs> yeah,
0: it- exactly. It, it would have been <laughs> the wrong career for me. Um, but it is true that, and I don't think this is just people who've hit the top of a career and have a A comfortable life, I think in general, we are all more committed to the status quo than we might realize. Because even when the status quo has edges to it that we don't like, it's stressful, it's hard, there's ways we're rewarded by maintaining things just as they are. It keeps us safe. It keeps it predictable. You know what your expectations are of you and of other people. And Part of what we're trying to do is ask the question, are you up for disrupting the status quo? Because if you take on a worthy goal, part of what you're doing is to say, I'm going to disrupt the status quo in a, in a small or in a big way. Yeah, that's
1: interesting. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So what, you talked about this concept of a worthy goal. What was the last sort of fresh start that you made in, in your life? And, and do you have an example of one from your own life? Like what does a worthy goal look
0: like? Yeah, so the, the root for this thinking for me comes from two different people. The first is a guy called David Allen, who wrote a book called Getting Things Done. It was big 20 years ago. It was one of the first kind of time management task management, productivity books. And his, he said, look, you can't do a project. You can only do the next step, but it's also really helpful to keep projectizing the stuff that you do. So what you do yeah. has a start and a finish. And that was really helpful, which is like, I'm trying to actually create projects so that I'm I'm building something rather than I'm just on a big amorphous thing that I'm trying, there's no end to it. And then Kevin Kelly, who such an interesting... Guy is a thousand, the
1: thousand fans or
0: yeah. Yeah. The same case. So Kevin Kelly is like the thousand fans and he, uh, kk.org is his website and he's a smart writer and he founded the long now and he founded the famous whole earth magazine. So he's just done a lot. But one of the, one of the articles I read from him was about how you calculate your death date. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, this is the date you die. And of course, you don't know exactly, but through actuarial tables, you can actually figure out, in theory, the date of your death. Mine's September 2042 sometime. And then he said, and you've got roughly five years per big project. So I'm like, wow, okay. So that leaves me with about four big things to be doing, four fresh starts. And look, that might not be exactly true, but it's pretty helpful as a just as a... A framework to see what you're up to in the world. So, you know, if I look back to stepping away from Box of Crayons and ending the CEO of that, that felt very much like the end of something. And that was really a worthy goal. You know, when I first thought about it, it was like, how do I stop being the CEO? But it turns out stopping being a CEO is pretty easy. You just say, you're now the CEO and I'm out of here. Yeah. But actually, the way that that worthy goal ended up being for me, which is like, how do I do a gracious and trusting transfer of power? And that felt more important and trickier and more daunting and, and more thrilling. It spoke more to my values. So that was a really significant thing. The one that I'm sitting with right now, uh, Robert, is thinking to myself, what if I thought of myself as a writer? And that's going to sound a bit weird in some ways because I've written (laughs) six or seven books. So people are like, aren't you already a writer? You know what? I don't think of myself as a writer. I think of myself who writes books as a teacher or as a business person or whatever it might be. The writing is a means to an end and it's not an identity. But I think in 2022, I'm going to try and write three books in a year. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like it sounds ludicrous as soon as i say now we it. can compete i got two next yeah. year so you oh, know. oh there go. we go but it takes it, and this is what i'm sitting with right now which is like uh, this is a question from robert uh roger martin it's like what needs to be true for me to write three books in a year it's a really great question
1: that's always a great question i think the other question is what do you not need to do to write three books in a year right
0: well i think that's it <laughs> Because I think they're the two sides of the same coin, which is like, oh man, what do I need to say yes to, and what do I need to say no to?
1: We just had a discussion with our team today. Pretty every year, we set the budget, and everyone does all of their asks, and it's interesting. And you've seen this, and it comes back. And we are going to grow forty percent next year at top line, and we are going to make less money than this year, Um, (laughs) nominally. Not like we're going to lose more, you know, more money. And so we were having, you know, this is always the case. Then you go back and sharpen the budgets. And, and I was saying to everyone, like, who wants to do this new stuff, like, when you're going to do something new, you need to make a commitment to take one of the other av- and stop it. Like, right. you can't just keep adding. Like, and, right. and we saw this in COVID, it ruined everyone's predictions of things that just had to stop. And you're like, oh, we don't need that. Yeah. That doesn't yeah. work. And And it's almost like if you had a one in one out, or even if you flipped that and said you had a one in 1.25 out <laughs> right you know for a lot of people i i think it's it's so harder it's not hard for us to try something we don't think will work but it's it's hard for us to stop something that's barely working
0: uh, honestly i think strategy in some way comes down to can you say no to the things you want to say yes to yeah because it's just like you're saying before that it's easy to get off a bad path it's, it's easy to say no to the things that suck or right. you are definitely yeah. not working or you don't like but there's so much that sits in the gray zone of going ah it's pretty good <laughs> it could be good we could try it and you know the writer peter block says the act of being an adult is the act of making a choice and when you make a choice what comes with that is guilt and anxiety <laughs> you know guilt about the things you've said no to yeah. and anxiety about the thing you've said yes to because you're like i'm i'm trying to do this and i'm trying to actually really commit to this and maybe one or two few other things. And so we resist that. We resist making a choice because we don't want to feel guilt and we don't want to feel anxiety. But of course, what we end up do is just being overcommitted and distracted and unfocused and you know growing 40% but losing money because we're adding without having the courage to cut ruthlessly. So I do think one of the one of the ways that you a person can become, build a reputation for being strategic is simply going all the time, all right, but what are we going to say no to? We can't just say yes. And if you keep saying that, everybody's going to go, man, they're a hard ass and they're good and they're yeah. smart and they're strategic because no is the act of courage. Well, let's put a pin in that and we'll be right back
1: uh, after a quick break from a word uh, from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Tech Expander. What can you do with more hours every month? Repetitive typing, little mistakes, searching for answers, all these things are taking precious time away from you and your team. With Text Expander, you can take time back and focus on what matters most in your business. With Text Expander, you and your team can keep your messages consistent, save time and be more productive, and be accurate every time. Make work happen wherever you are by saying more and less time and with less effort using Text Expander. Here's how it works. Drop your commonly used content, a thank you note or a request for a meeting into a Text Expander snippet and give it an abbreviation. Share your snippet with your entire team. Just type a few characters to trigger your snippet and the content expands anywhere you type. It's that easy. Text Expander is available on Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, iPad, and listeners of this show get 20% off their first year. Visit textexpander.com/podcast to learn more. That's text dot com slash podcast. And we're back with Michael. So yeah, we were talking about this concept of no, Tim Ferriss did some great work on this a few years ago. He published all the rejection letters that he got from <laughs> very busy people that he asked to be in his book, uh tribe of mentors, right? Which, yeah. and, and he sort of dissected them as Tim does and found a theme and, and, you know said you know they use templates and here's how they say no because it's easier to have some templates than it is to you know and and there were some themes like you made it seem universal you made it seem like you know because a lot of it's the act of saying no it was just really and he talked with the uh greg and the essentialism you know about this too and i started using some of these templates and what's interesting is that and i'm sure you've seen that sometimes people reply and be like good for you i wish i could
0: (laughs) (laughs) right exactly
1: we just said look I have a couple priorities right now those have my focus and yeah. I'm just not taking on anything new until I do that and yeah. and the ones for me that are hardest is you know a lot of people just want 15 30 minutes right but yeah. that's the death by a totally. thousand cuts
0: yeah exactly so I use text expander and I've got a little folder that is literally called no's and thank yous <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um you know my template is and you know it's semicolon and then the word fully, and I just type that in, and then this message pops up. I'm afraid I must say no because I'm fully committed to other projects. I do appreciate the invitation nonetheless. And that's it. And I use that because I need it to have the courage to say no to a bunch of stuff. It's much easier to have templates. It's just yeah. much easier. Yeah. Rather yeah. than me going, I've got to figure out how to how to reject this person. Because right. I have a I like to think I have a big heart and I want to be helpful. But it's like, I kill myself.
1: But you actually can't be helpful. If it, if you jumped in and helped 15, this is the yeah. thing that people don't understand. You helped 40 people you don't know with random projects, 15 minutes a day. That's the yeah. light going in a prism in a million <laughs> different directions rather yeah. than it being channeled exactly. as a laser to solve one or two exactly. things that are important to you. And, and look, I, I actually had a similar discussion to what you're saying. I think one of the ways to determine a worthy goal is to get back to your values and, and your yeah. personal core values. I think that, I actually think goals should be set if goals aren't set in alignment with personal core values, then yeah. when you fulfill them or reach them, it's not, it's not going to feel you know, that great.
0: Yeah. It's a bit why I'm, I'm so underwhelmed by the idea of smart goals, because the whole idea of smart goals is all about kind of shrinking and polishing and tidying up and refining and kind of making measurable. And it doesn't really ask the bigger question, which is, does this matter? do you care? Is this important? Does this give more to the world than it takes? What happens when it's actually done, right? Yeah.
1: I would say there's a lot of people who have a certain house goal, right? Beach house. Yeah. Well, and you have to ask why and, yeah. and really deeply why. So why do you want this house? And someone says, well, to me, a house was always the definition of success. You know, you're, right. like, Well, they might be honest with themselves, but they say, a house is a place for my family and us to be together and otherwise. And if in working 80 hours a week for the house, you lose your spouse and exactly. have no relationship with your kid, then yeah. that house is actually not going to fulfill the stated goal. Now, it may have actually been for a different reason, yeah. but it's not going to work for the the stated goal. right? So I, right. I, I actually think you, you reverse engineer from, these are my clear values. I should pick yeah. five or 10-year goals that would help manifest those values. And then that determines what I need to do on a Yearly basis or every couple of years, right?
0: You know, one of the one of the tests in the book because uh, the first third of the book is about how do you draft and redraft your worthy goal so it gets tighter and better and stronger. Because yep. I do think one of the problems with a lot of goals is people write it down and then they don't really interrogate it. They go, "It's a beach house." Why is the best question? Why? Yeah. Why this goal? Right. Well, well, here's my tweak on that, which yeah. is similar but different. Yeah. Because one of the things about why is it puts you a bit on the defensive. It's very hard, certainly if you're asking somebody else why. So the, the phrase I use is for the sake of what am I doing this? Yeah. And so you take the beach house, which is like, well, for the sake of what am I doing this? Well, it's because it's great for my family to hang out there. And for the sake of what you want your family to hang out, because I want really good relationships with my kids and with my spouse. Right. So, of all the ways you could build really strong relationships to your kids and your your spouse, what's the way that is thrilling, most thrilling for you, and most exciting for you, and most daunting for you? And it could be like, you know what? What's daunting is not building a beach house or earning enough to buy a beach house. It's figuring out how to work four days a week so that I can spend three days a week truly committed to my family. Right. And that actually might be a better answer to a goal, but you know, just like in the coaching habit, the, the question that people love is what's the real challenge here for you. And behind that's the insight that we don't really think hard enough about what the challenge is. And if you get clear on what the real challenge is, everything opens up. It's the same with goals. It's like, if you get clear on what the real goal is, the worthy goal, then everything becomes much clearer and you can be much more courageous.
1: Yeah. And, and, I've always thought about like, I've always wanted like, I want my kids to be in an Olympic athlete, right? Because in some ways you do this whole thing for this one moment and then you win and it's over or you lose and it's over. Yeah. What is a goal that is a, that is a higher plateau than is the top of a mountain that falls off the other side. Right. Because I think, again, a
0: lot of people get the goal and then they're like, <laughs> like wrong mountain or even if it's the right mountain, which is like, now what? Because right. I'd invested in that, you know. Ryan Holiday has talked about this several times, like about yeah. New York bestseller. All the they
1: called him all he wanted for five years, mowing his lawn, and he got it. And he's like, "All right, you just you know, high achievers just move the line. Like as soon yeah. they just they just go redraw the line right away. So that you don't even there's not even the satisfaction that you intended <laughs> no. from it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I know. You know, I'm a I'm a road scholar, and not many people can say that. Uh, yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> But I, tell you what, I, I I bring it up, not really just to, to remind everybody that I'm a member of a secret club that's ruling the world, but it's because there's a way that I'd say it's probably in America, most of all, there's a way that becoming a Rhodes Scholar becomes the end goal. <laughs> yeah. And once you get to a Rhodes Scholar, you're like, oh my God, I'm a Rhodes Scholar. And you're not quite sure what to do with that there. And actually, one of the ways that the Rhodes Scholarship has been working over the last few years to reinvent itself is to be framing winning the, that scholarship as the beginning of something rather than the end of something. Because even in my class, there are people who I'm like, they're, they're lost because they became a Rhodes Scholar. And they're like, I think that was it. That was my life's ambition.
1: Look, I, there's a 10X, that's a small group, right? But that yeah. is, I mean, I have a 18-year-old daughter, senior... Uh, all the college application stuff is coming out now. You want to talk about a goal that's gotten totally screwed up or like yeah. the worthy goal, like getting into college is the worthy goal, not finding a vocation you like, finding a career. Yeah, and, and I think these kids have worked for 16 years to get into college or their parents have, and they are just falling over the finish line. Yeah, And that's just the beginning. Somehow college is now the end. The, the, right. <laughs> it's the end, but it's really just the beginning.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm happily child-free, but I've got two nieces who I'd write in that age group. And both of them, when they finished high school, wrote, you know, I'm really burnt out. And part of me, I, you know, honestly, I scoffed slightly. I'm like, oh, you have no idea, young person, about what life's about to throw at you. But then when I thought about it, I'm like, I think I felt that way too. And I think it's much more intense now than it was 40 years ago when I was trying to go through this or 30 years ago when I was going through these shenanigans. And I think there is a so much kind of pressure to get there that you do just kind of fall over the finish line. And I'm like 20, <laughs> you know, it's like, how do you have a sustainable nourished life?
1: Hey, elevate listeners, whether you're selling a little or a lot, Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. Yeah, it's, I think that has become like, it's just a totally different sport. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, college was something you started thinking about sophomore year, (laughs) junior year. Now you have a consultant by the time you're a freshman. It's just a ton of pressure. And again, I think it, to me, Um, it actually should be a beginning. And I think it is seen as a as an end, and it's a it's just a ton of pressure, and it's a cultural thing. I mean, everyone has four O's these days. Like everyone, there's there's not a real focus on. And we can go into this for an hour, but I won't. um, On like figuring out what you like to do and being okay not to be good at the other stuff.
0: (laughs) Right, and also you know it's interesting how Gary Vaynerchuk has shifted over over the years. You know, when I first came across him 10 years ago, he's all he was very much in the hustle hard mode. Yeah. And now he's very much in the live a good life and be yeah. kind and embrace love. And one of the things he says is like, your 20s should be about experimenting. Yeah. And just figuring stuff out because- Get it wrong. Yeah. It's, that's when you get it wrong. <laughs> that's when you thats when you collect bumps and scars and stories. But you can't get into college if you get anything wrong now. Right. You can't, 4.0
1: is the minimum requirement. And that's a- wow a tough amount of pressure it
0: is a tough amount of pressure
1: so i i assume you've seen probably dan pink's work around timing right and he yeah. talks about how there's actually we're, we're coming up on new year right there's there's this when this launches like that there are time points right for us beginning of a week beginning of a month where we we yeah. get more momentum is there some science behind
0: like when to start something new uh that you found No, or at least there probably is some science. I haven't found it (laughs) because I'm I'm more about a process than I am about finding the research behind the stuff that I do. I mean, obviously, you know, as we talk, we are coming up to the changeover of the year. So there's lots of people who are like, "All right, okay, I've 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 got through the holidays, and now I'm going to do that big reset." And 2022 is definitely going to be different from 2021. And there's been plenty written about the disappointment of New Year's resolutions and how they they don't work. Is it Gretchen Rubin who says, or who quotes people going, what you do on a day-to-day basis matters more than what you do every now and then? Yeah. I've heard different, what you do most of the time matters than what you do some of the time or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And I think part of this work is First of all, just creating space now. Whenever you're listening to this, going, look, am I happy with the mix that I've got and the work that I'm doing? And you know, I'm wanting people to reclaim ambition for themselves and for the world. And it is true that you can go. Well, so I'm going to wait till September the first, or July the first, or December the first, or April the first, because it's the start of something. Timing, but. Yeah. I find that I do that just to put it off, <laughs> not to... Right. And I'm actually better off going, why don't I do it now? Why don't I start this thing now? Right. The best day is probably today, yeah. right? I mean, th- people
1: talk about, it. is there a good time to quit yeah. your job, have a baby, get married? Yeah.
0: Never usually, right? The answer, the answer is almost, there's never an obvious time. Yeah. There's never a time where you're like, now the time. It's mostly like, is this important enough that we're going to disrupt the status quo? To start this new adventure. I mean, like I say, I don't have kids, so I don't really know this, but I can imagine, and I know this is true for some of my friends, they're like, we just didn't want to have a baby, and then we got accidentally got pregnant. And that was good <laughs> because if we'd waited till we were ready, we would have been in our late 80s and you know, the moment will have passed. No one wanted to work at home, right? And then boom. Right. They had to. And boom. Yeah.
1: Exactly. A- any tricks for getting over mm-hmm. just the Fear of starting, like I, I think that's probably one of the biggest impediments to a new beginning. And and yeah, well, I'll, actually, I'll separate out the next question.
0: I'd say there are two things that come to mind, Robin. The first is it's really hard to do this by yourself, and so one of the tricks is to get people around you. So you've got you're, you're traveling with your band, yeah, and you know you'll have different people that you might want at different times. But sometimes you need somebody who's kind of got a fierceness to them and a kind of like, let's get this done. And sometimes you want somebody who's a bit softer and kinder and compassionate and kind of be a safe space for you. And sometimes you want a cheerleader. And sometimes you want somebody who's a teacher. You know, you have different needs at different times, but find your people. And sometimes they're they're people you've never met. I remember one of the books, one of the people who traveled with me was Seth Godin because he just put out this little book on... For something like how to ship. And it was like, here's a process for getting something out the door. And I just use that to get me to get something out the door. Sometimes it's real people. Like I've been in a mastermind group for 15 years and they play a very specific role of allowing me to go somewhere and be confused and messy and bitter and twisted (laughs) and, you know, and angry, which are not things that I normally put out on display because. You know, with a lot of people, I'm like I'm trying to present a way of showing up that is more useful to the moment. But I need a space where I can I can fall apart a little bit. So I think that's the main trick, which is like, don't do this by yourself. Go find some people.
1: And, and then related question, because I was just having a debate with with someone. For so, a friend of mine sold this company, and everyone's like, "Well, you get to go do some of the same industry." He's like, "No, I'm going to do something totally different, right?" Yeah. Because learning quotient. I mean, I think. You know, if you have success at something people want to, I mean, you can look at this both ways. A lot of people get false confidence that they're good at other industries and different things. Mm -hmm. The natural inclination is to stay near that or use your base, your connections, but like from a learning standpoint, like it's freaking scary, but, but how, Mm -hmm. how important do you think it is to just to these four or five worthy goals you have to just mix it up (laughs)
0: I don't know. You know, I, what it reminds me of is the the research that um, Malcolm Gladwell pulled upon foiled his uh, 10,000 hour book. And he looked at two different painters. He looked at Picasso and he looked at Matisse. And Picasso is an example of somebody who kept mixing it up. Blue period, rose period, right. cubist period. Random drawing bulls period. I mean, he kind of kept going through different phases, which is like, I'm done with that. I'm on to the next thing. And the connection that Gladwell made, or the guy who did the original research, was earlier Picassos are worth more than later Picassos. But Matisse basically just painted the same picture for 50 years. He's like, I'm going to paint some apples. And I'm going to paint a mountain and then I'm going to paint some apples and then I'm going to paint a mountain and then I'm going to paint some apples. And then an apple tree on top of a mountain. Yeah. And so he just kept working the same thing. So I suspect the answer is it depends. But what I think is a, what you're pointing to, which is really important, which is make it an active choice, not an accidental choice. Like right. I know that when I left box of crayons, I spent 18 months trying to escape the gravity of box of crayons because I'm like, I spent 20 years trying to build a identity around coaching and questions and possibilities. And so those are the people that come to you. And those are the people that the, come yeah. to me. And I was like, it's it's going to take me a while to hike out of the valley that is box of crayons. And actually I did a piece of work with a woman called Erin Weed, W-E-E-D based down in Colorado called The Dig. I was really skeptical about this because she said, look, we do two half-day sessions together. We do it virtually. You, you tell me your story. And um, in the moment, I will build your operating system based on some of the keywords that you use. Mm. And because I'm a good facilitator, I'm very intolerant of bad facilitation. And I'm a little skeptical of the woo-woo as well. So yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, this sounds like it could be terrible. I mean, yeah. it could be a badly facilitated piece of woo-woo. And I'm like, oh. Man, but I, I was feeling stuck and she had some testimonials on her website that of people I knew and trusted. So I was like, I'll give it a go. Cause you know, I'll lose some money if it's not that good. And um, if it is good, it's really yeah. helpful. And I thought I knew what the answer was going to be. My key word was going to be coaching and maybe curiosity and maybe possibilities. So I tell her my story and she kind of moves stuff around and typing stuff in as I'm doing it. And At the end, she says, look, I think here are your three key words. The first word is confidence. I'm like, oh, that's interesting because there is something about how I show up in the world is both kind of real and vulnerable, but confident at the same time. And then the second word she said was forward. She's like, you got a real hunger to keep moving on to the next thing. And then she said, but your, your central word is power. I was like, oh man, I did not see that coming. But actually, I've got a history of trying in my small way to kind of disrupt the status quo, just you know, play with hierarchy. I mean, coaching, it is most profound for me, is a shift in power because when you're giving advice, you have the power. When right. you're asking a question, you're inviting the other person to take the power. And doing that work was incredibly liberating for me. That's what got me out of the Box of Crayons Valley into the, the next... The next thing for me. And what I'm grateful for is just taking the time to be thoughtful about moving away from what I'd done and making a real choice about what I wanted to do next. I
1: mean, what I'm hearing you saying there is that it depends, right? Yeah. Some people, it's really about mastering in the next chapter. And for some people who have that forward or have that intellectual curiosity, they might actually be misserved by staying yeah. too close to, to what they know and that they kind of right. need to take that scary jump off the next cliff. Right.
0: Some people are like, you know what? I love starting companies and I know how to do it. And I'm just going to keep doing that. And yeah. I'm, I'm onto my seventh company and I love it. Yeah, And <laughs> that would not be exciting for me. I But I'm like, I'm onto a new adventure. and I want to learn new things and try new stuff. And that's much more energizing for me. I guess, how do we
1: uh, what am I missing from the book? We, we won't be able to buy the book, but what yeah. what what other high-level things do you get into in terms of how to think yeah. about beginning?
0: So the book's in three sections. Section one is how to draft a worthy goal. And it has as its key insights. Like, Look, the first time you write down your, your goal, it's not the best version of it. It's yeah. worth interrogating it and testing it and pushing it and prodding it. So you end up at something that is maximally thrilling and important and daunting for you. Yeah. And the final step which we talked a little bit about is look, once you get across the threshold, how do you travel? How do you make progress on this? And you know, we talked about it's good to have good people around you to do that. The middle section is called how to commit. And it's the it's the deepest bit of work that's that the book offers. And it sort of says this, once you identify your worthy goal, You're actually at at a crossroads. You have a choice. Do you walk away from it or do you commit to it? You fully go for it. And most people don't stop at this thing. They just get onto the action. And I want people to stop and really weigh up the consequences of taking on this worthy goal. Because we've talked a fair bit about the status quo. If you say yes to taking on the worthy goal, you are going to disrupt the status quo. And there are prizes and punishments to that. And are you up for it? Do the prizes of saying yes to this outweigh the punishments of saying yes to this? But equally you could say no to that. And that choice also has prizes and punishments. And now you're going, look, does the does the punishments of this is a bit of a mind flip, does the punishments of not taking it on outweigh Is the, the juice worth the squeeze? <laughs> that's see, that's the phrase I needed. Is yeah. the juice worth the squeeze? We can go back and edit it, you know. Exactly. <laughs> Use that, just use that for your podcast and it'll be fine. <laughs> I love that. It's a worth the squeeze. Damn it, that's fantastic. Thank you. I definitely came up with that quote. Too, if you're attributing it, yeah. I will. Robert Glazier Esquire, for sure. I'm actually, this is a non sequitur.
1: I use quotes a lot in my books. I don't know if you have this experience. And I find them and I check them and I go to the editor, and 60% of them are wrong. Like people are, <laughs> yeah. things are so misattributed everywhere. Totally. Yeah,
0: uh, totally. Yeah. You're like, just actually, um, there's a quote that makes me laugh just around that, which is um, originality is just unacknowledged plagiarism, yeah. <laughs> but but nobody knows nobody knows who said that quote, which I think is even better. <laughs> There's not that many new ideas. It's people combine and add. Yeah.
1: And I, I had this woman, I, I wrote uh, Friday forward about a few weeks ago about the two out of three rule. Like you can have two out of three, you know, it's a contractor yeah. sort of thing. And I sort of applied it somewhere else. It's been talked about thousands of times. She exactly. is posting all over my LinkedIn. I'm not following you anymore. You plagiarize, you steal. I'm like, what? You, and then all these people are like, what are you talking about? He he talked about this contractor thing that contractors say. And, and he has a quote that's attributed. And he actually says, he took the word "scene" from Ryan Holiday. He said that, and and there were, they're defending me. They're like, we don't. And she posts like seven times. And then finally, on the eighth post, it was, I don't know, but my dad started saying this 60 years ago. This is, you know, this is something her dad said to her as a kid, and so she just assumed that like her dad came up with this. And I, I, people will email me from friday voice they'll be like you have that quote wrong and i'm like i don't i just did more research the serenity prayer there's a yeah. lot of doubts of whether the guy who's a, is attributed to said it like it, yeah. it's just so funny that she thought her dad said it i know like,
0: i know <laughs> no, it's, it's true it's like almost every quote you need to put in an asterisk it's like it's probably this person but maybe not yeah may, maybe not although publishers like to be accurate so they do I some know. research Another one of the gifts of self-publishing is you don't have a publisher going. Can yeah. you verify that? You're like, ah, it's fine.
1: Yeah, Nobody someone cares. said it. <laughs>
0: yeah. well, well, last
1: uh, just last question because I want to yeah. key in on something you said. Like, it, should you not start until you have a worthy goal, or well, should you not take the plunge until you're clear yeah. about a worthy goal?
0: Well, look, I think it's worth doing the the work to kind of interrogate and test. Your worthy goal but the standard you're looking for to commit to isn't perfect it's good yeah. enough yeah. and it's a really easy trap to keep going oh, i'm going to just keep fine tuning this till i get it exactly right you're like you right. don't know you've got to get it good enough so that you can go you know what this is worth committing to and cross the threshold because the truth is once you start doing the work it's a fair bet that your worthy goal is going to evolve with your journey because yes. what you, it's, it's like that great saying, you know, all plans are useless, but planning is useful. Yeah. The plan will evolve. The goal may shift and evolve and change and, and mutate, but you want to be confident enough that it's directionally good enough for you to get going on it. Awesome. All right, Michael, where can people uh, find the book and learn more about uh, you? Yeah, brilliant. How to begin? is the the website for the book so stuff about the book and resources that people can use there and if you want more about me the umbrella website is mbs.works that .works all right well michael thank you for uh,
1: stopping by again it's always always a pleasure to speak with you yeah,
0: it's a pleasure thanks you're you're a wonderful host you made me sound smart thank you
1: <laughs> to our listeners thank you for tuning into the elevate podcast today we'll include links to michael and his new book how to begin on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com If you enjoyed today's episode or you're a fan of the Elevate podcast in general, it's free, so I only have one favor for you. Uh, I'd appreciate, favor to ask, I should say. I'd appreciate if you could leave us a review. Uh, If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just select the library icon, click on Elevate, scroll down to the bottom, and you can leave a rating or review in seconds. Uh, Thanks again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating.